stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Howdy and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Now, I tell you what, a few weeks ago I had Jordan Wiley and he's the extreme adventurer. And I started to think, you know, who are these people that live these extraordinary lives and put themselves in danger um, and, and enjoy it, actually? And today I have got another one, actually one of Jordan's friends, um, Danny Brooke. Now, Danny um, started off, she thought she was going to be a lawyer, but she ended up in the police force and ended up going into undercover operations and um, became one of the best in the UK, which is incredible, put herself in situations that uh, maybe she didn't see that was that dangerous, but put herself in situations where her life, you know, could be um, at risk very often. And she says that, you know, there was a time where she couldn't tell anyone and uh, what she was doing. And so she's living this double life and, you know, just uh, people just thinking that she's working overtime, but she's in with all these drug lords and everything else. And, and she's also been on uh, a stack of TV shows and in one particular 10, 10 or so episodes or series of um, Hunted where she uses her investigative skills to hunt people down. And plus she's got a book coming out that it, it talks about her whole uh, undercover life. And I tell you what, I cannot wait to get that book called Girl for the Job. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking about it because she tells a story way better than I can tell it. So let's get into it. Welcome, Danny. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. You, I am, when I think about your past, I nearly put my pants because I just think, I, I don't know how anyone can do that. You know, I, I'm too scared to cross the road half the time. That's not true. I've got a fair bit of courage, but um. To do some of the things you've done, wow! I, I have so much admiration for you, so much. Thank you. I, I must say, though, when I think about those things now, I'm not so sure I would do them now. <laughs> when ah. I come out, I sometimes I think that was really stupid. What? What? But no, now I'm out, and I think about. And it's funny as well because I'm actually a really big worrier. I worry about everything. So I think I'm just making up for lost time. I didn't worry about anything and now I worry about everything. Um, and I'm a huge <laughs> overthinker. So I think I'm just over, like, I'm just making up for lost time. <laughs> well, I think I'm the same because I think I said the older I'm getting, and I'm much older than you, uh, I, the older I'm getting, I worry about more stuff. And when I was a kid, well, when I was a young adult, my God, I got into cars with people I should never have got in. And I, I didn't even worry me back then. I used to play in pubs and, you know, play guitar and, and used to be a real wild bloody rebel, you know, and, and I never cared about anything. And I'd get into a fight with anyone. I never cared. Now I'm like, oh, no, just be quiet, Karen. Just <laughs> 
same. I'm like, oh, I should have just stayed in. If I see something happening, I was like, oh, why did I just stay in? Why yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm exactly the same. Well, I think as we get older, we we uh, maybe as we get older, we realize how precious life is. Do you know? And that and how how fragile we actually are. Instead of we think we're infallible, and then suddenly yes. it's kind of like shit. Actually, I'm not. You know, I'm I'm not. And especially if we get sick. You know, as we as our body starts to get older, we break down more, and we think far out. I was just saying on the weekend, I can't recover as quickly as I used to. You know, when I do big, deep, big stuff like building on the weekend that we did you know it's kind of like shit I'm knackered today usually before when I was younger anyway old age that just that just give me the shit so let's not talk about that I want to talk about you this um for, for over a decade right you were considered one of the most effective female undercover cops in the UK that's a pretty bloody impressive title like that that's That's pretty amazing. And I want to ask you a couple of questions about being a female in there. But, you know, I also want to, I've actually, I've got a hundred questions. In fact, if I could be on here all day, I'm going to have to try and trim my questions down just to the most important. But what got you into that? Um, It's a question I get asked all the time. And you'll you'll probably see throughout this, actually, I fall into things without planning. (laughs) There's never (laughs) any planning. It's kind of just, I'm chucked in and then I just have to swim and that's it. Um, So my dad was a cop. Um, That's not why I joined. You know, no one joins the same uh, industry as their parents because parents aren't cool, are they? Um, (laughs) And where I grew up, police weren't necessarily, that wasn't a cool job either. You know, they wasn't disliked, but it wasn't something you considered. And I thought, I genuinely thought I was going to be like this hot shot, power suit wearing lawyer. Yeah. Didn't happen. (laughs) And there was a, a recruitment drive in for the Met in London um, where they were looking for females. It was a, just a female recruitment drive. Um, and my dad said, Look, you should probably give it a go, Dan. And I was like, no, I'm not. it's not for me. Then he was like quite convincing. So I just applied. I think I applied really just to get him off my back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I still thought I was going to go off to uni and be this lawyer and have this incredible apartment in London. You know, it never happened. Um, <laughs> That never happened at all. Um, And I applied and got invited to the interviews and then there's all exams and tests and everything else. And somehow, I don't even know how I got through them. Um, And then they said, oh, there's an 18-month waiting list so you won't get a position yet, a place at training school yet. So um, bear with us. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like I was hoping that uni was going to come back by then and say, congratulations, you're in. Um, and then about a week or so later, it was really quick. It might have been two weeks, but it was a really quick period where I got a phone call one Sunday saying, somebody hasn't turned up for their place. Would you come tomorrow and take their place? So it went from 18 months of, well, in my head, it was going to be 18 months of waiting to less than two weeks. Um, so I, off I went. I was unprepared. I didn't have any of the kit that you needed. You know, they send you a sheet with all the things you need. I had none of it. I just turned up and was like, I'm here. Um, and that was literally it. And then I become a cop. So I did start as a, a regular cop, um, you know, fighting crime on the streets, which I thought was the best thing ever. I loved it. I loved being in uniform, not the uniform. I'm really, really, really girly. And the, the trousers were like up under my, on my bra line, you know, they didn't fit. I'm really short and the child, no, nothing fit. It was just ridiculous. Um, the boots were the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life, but I didn't care. I just was like, I love this. This is so cool. 
Um, and then my inspector, after a while, so I went to a borough called uh, Tower Hamlets, uh, which is it, it's in East London. It's where I'm actually from. It's where I was born. Um, it's really, really busy. It's a, it's a good borough to be a cop on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got extreme wealth and extreme poverty, like literally all next to each other. So wow. it's 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 so really it's a really cool borough and you, you just can't not go there and do work because there's always something to be doing yeah. um and I learned a lot really quickly actually because I there was I was talking to people that I just would never have come across in my life before that so it was just awesome I loved it um and after a while my boss my inspector said um daddy tomorrow night can you come in in your plain clothes you and a colleague are going to go out um and just sort of patrol uh, we'll give you an unmarked car on a patrol and I was like oh <laughs> I thought that was undercover. I had no idea that that was just plain clothes. I had no idea. <laughs> um, I was very naive. And so me and my colleague, we thought we were really cool, <laughs> went out on night duties. But the criminals would all know the uh, unmarked cars. Like they would know all of the registration plates. So we thought we were better than them. And uh, we said, let's ditch the car and let's just walk. So we were out walking in plain clothes. And we were getting some arrests that we just would not never have got before. You know, we were walking into stairwells of flats and catching them serving up drugs. And we were like, this is, this is so cool. Um, And my boss was obviously very happy because our team statistics were going up and up and up and people were like talking about it. Um, And we did that only on night duties because daytimes were just, you know, there was other things to be getting on with. But um, we did that for a while. And then I got another phone call from my inspector saying, Danny, tomorrow you need to go up to New Scotland Yard. And I thought, oh, shit. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. I'm going to get sacked. I felt I really <laughs> thought I'd push my luck with all the work we'd been doing because we were we were walking up to them going, like looking over and catching them in the, in the act. Um, so I thought maybe we wasn't allowed to do any of that stuff. <laughs> and I thought I'm out of here, um, but it wasn't that. It was actually when you get there, you've got to go to this floor and meet, meet this chap, and good luck. And I thought, oh god, this is really bad. This could only be one thing. And then it, I went up to New Scotland Yard, and it was like the the hottest day of the year. Of course, it was, and I was on a sweaty tube in London in a cheap suit. <laughs> so, like, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and when I got there, it was actually I met this guy who was working with the covert unit and I never knew this even existed like this was like something from a movie and he explained what 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 they did and I'll be honest I didn't really understand because I didn't think it was real Mm. um and he said we'd like you to do the course and I said oh right okay and he said you still don't understand why you're even here do you I was like no (laughs) I don't get it I don't understand and he said we want you to do the course will you do the course so I said yeah sure and that was it. Um, and then it was a really short time after that I did the course. Um, and that's how I ended up being a cohort officer. Um, to this day, I don't know how I passed that course either. Um, because wow. there was people on there that I thought were way cooler than me. Like I thought, you know, there was people on there with a lot more police experience, um, which I thought was key, but it obviously wasn't. Um, and every night I'd go to bed like because you live there. So it's a, you're there for the, a period of time and you live there. Um, but I'd go to bed and be like reliving everything we'd done in the day. And I'd be like, oh, why didn't I do that? Oh, I didn't even think of that. And then that person I thought was like smashing it and was doing really well. They'd be gone the next day and you would never see them again because they'd got kicked, been kicked off. Wow. 
uh, in my head they were really cool and I was like oh my god so I, yeah I just jumped in I had no idea what was happening <laughs> around me I just just swam and managed to keep afloat <laughs> so I don't really wow I, it, yeah people said have you got any tips for it and I'm like no <laughs> I don't just really do, do. <laughs> um but yeah and I I think you like I just try to keep it as close to my real as close to me as possible Mm. because if you lie too much yeah it's hard to keep that up if you're lying too much you know you've got to you've got to remember a lot of stuff so um yeah that's how I got to that point and then obviously the deployments came which is that's where the real work starts (laughs) Wow, and the real work, we'll get into that, is uh, dirty dirty drug dens and God knows what, the real nasty, the real nasty pasties. When you said just before, um, you know, you thought that it was key to have experience, What what? and you said that's not it, What what is it? What is the key to being good at that? I think um, confidence yeah. um, and, and having a reason, like what is your story? Why are you there? And, of course, if you're walking into a, an environment or a, an area where my accent, so, for example, if I was in the north of England, my accent is clearly not from the north of England, people are going to ask you, why are you here? What, what do you want? Mm. And you have, you have to be confident in your answer um, and not and not sort of um, shy away from it. You know, you need to own why you're there because essentially I want something from the people I'm talking to. So I need yeah. them to like me without being cocky but be firm. I think just confidence and knowing, having your, we call it a legend, so having your story, your legend sorted before you get there. Mm. Uh, and maybe a little bit of thinking on your feet because... A little bit. plenty of times where I've been, yeah, when they've said things and I wasn't expecting it or I've been in scenarios where I wasn't, that wasn't meant to happen. <laughs> well, I'd say, I'd say a little bit more than just a little bit thinking on your feet. I think you'd have to be very quick and witty. But did you, did you ever... Um, was your cover ever blown? Like because you couldn't think quick enough, or because you you got something wrong? Did you ever get busted? I got arrested. Ah. <laughs> well, it's so ridiculous because obviously I knew I, I knew it would be fine, but I was scared. <laughs> I was really scared. <laughs> um, yeah, I got arrested for possession with intent to supply Class A, but I was there in a, a covert capacity. Yeah. And that, yeah, that wasn't ideal. That that really wasn't <laughs> what I thought was going to happen. Well, obviously it got off, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, she was not when... Um, so I was arrested for that and taken back to the station and they strip searched me and I was wearing a wire because I'd been deployed at this place for a, a number of months. So I was comfortable. Everyone knew who I was. When she strip searched me, she just went, shit. Um, <laughs> She was like, what do I do? And I said, just leave it. Do not go in, do not go into the custody area and mention it. Just leave it. And she was like, okay. And then of course someone come to get me. And I was just sat there. I was like, oh, I need a shower. <laughs> like, <this is> <laughs> oh, I felt sorry for the cop that had arrested me because she thought it was the best arrest ever. <laughs> like she thought she had it banged to rights. <laughs> yeah. I felt sorry wow. for her. <laughs> wow. But you never got busted by the crooks, though. Not never. Wow. Yeah. So what about a scary, like, what, where, where, was there ever a time, and I'm sure there was, tell us about it, where you just thought, fuck, I'm in over my head, I'm in too deep? Every deployment. 
you know, the craziest thing, and at the time I didn't think about it, but now when I think about it, and when I say it, I'm like, what was I even doing? My first ever deployment went so wrong. That should have been enough where I should have just reverted and not just gone back to being full-time uniform and leaving it, but I didn't. Um, I was deployed in a not very nice area of London, um, and all I was told was, Danny, can you go and establish if there is a supply of crack cocaine or heroin? we're in the, if you know this area like there is that drug that drug is available like yeah. we know it is um anyway I ended up getting in we call it nutting into someone I managed, managed to befriend somebody who introduced me to his dealer and the dealer served us up he gave us the crack I had this is my first ever job I was so excited because I had the product and I was like I've done it like I've, I've, I've just bought drugs like that's so cool um and then the dealer decided that he took a shining to me and he was going to walk with me uh, after I bought the drugs. Um, and long story short, he said, um, where's where's the gear? And I said, oh, I've plugged it because I thought oh, he's going to rob me like he's going to rob. He's going to mm-hmm. want the, the thing back. And I really don't want that to happen because I want to go back and show everyone that I can do it. Yeah. Um, and he went, oh, OK, I hadn't. It was in my pocket. <laughs> it was like I hadn't put it anywhere. It was just literally in my pocket. Um, and he said, uh, I'll walk you, I'll walk you. And I said, no, no, no. And I was putting on my best, my best street accent. No, no, like my boy will kill me. Yeah. Like he will like literally, cause both of us like just go away. And he was like, no, no, I'll walk you. I'll walk with you. And I had this lovely classy high ponytail because part of my field crop. <laughs> um, and he just, all of a sudden it just turned nasty and he just grabbed me by the ponytail, wrapped it around my, his hand, my hair around his hand and pulled me into this alleyway. Um, I don't know how graphic I can be, but he obviously wanted a sexual favour, and I said, I can't do that. I'm not doing that. Like, my man will kill us. Yeah. And then he said, no, 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 you don't have to do that. You can do this instead um, while he's undoing his trousers. But he's still got my hair. Oh, and I'm like, I can see the road, and I was thinking, do I run? Like, what, how am I, like, what do I do? And I, in my brain, I knew he was serious. He was undoing his trousers, and he still had my head. And I thought bite it and just run <gasps> like bite and leg it <laughs> and that was in my brain like just to do that um and I had a, a bit of kit in my pocket and I didn't even think about that you know it's my first job I wasn't really the technical side of things I wasn't that savvy on yeah. um so in my brain I'm about to bite him <laughs> leg it <to> Sally. <laughs> Um, in reality of course it would have hurt him but he was a giant he was like over six foot he's probably about six two six three he would have he would have grabbed me back like and I would have probably got a bit of a slap putting it mildly and the Um, worst yeah (laughs) um and then a car or a vehicle just pulled up at the end of the alleyway and this guy got out and he was like you slag you this you that grabbed me and I was like and I recognized him from my briefing before I'd been deployed the piece of kit I had in my pocket, they could hear everything that was going on. So they knew what had happened, the team, and he'd come and save me. But he didn't blow my cover. He just made out he was my crazy boyfriend. Oh. And the deep, I know, I was just, the whole thing was nuts. The dealer then apologised to him, not to me, <laughs> apologised to him, um, telling him how I wanted it. And I was like, oh, well, he didn't. Um, and then... I was on my merry way and I'd scored. I'd, I'd still had the product. I hadn't been, well, I'd been touched, but not like, you know, too much. It was it was manageable yeah. um, and saved. 
by my colleague. Um, and then they said, would you be comfortable going back to get from him again? And I said, well, yeah, I feel like we have to go back and get more drugs from him because that would be a bit weird. Like, mm. I don't I don't want to be that person. So, yeah, we kept going back and buying drugs from the set. He never touched me again. He was scared no, of my boyfriend. No, scared of crazy boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. But he, yeah, he he was not very nice. And that was my first job. So really, that should have been enough. I should have pulled the plug there and said, no, do you know, that's, yeah, that's but- me out of this world. But the adrenaline off of it was something else. And it sounds <laughs> crazy. But, and, and being told, like, all of my uh, my colleagues in the covert unit, you know, they were, they'd were they been there for years and years. And it was, I don't want to call it, it wasn't a boys club. I used to call it the bigger boys club. Um, it wasn't what it says on the tin it was you know they were just old sweats that had been there for years um and I liked them I thought they were really great and I wanted to be a part of that so I was basically willing to do anything to to be a part of that club Um, and they obviously found out about it and thought it was brilliant they were like that's amazing and I was like yeah (laughs) (laughs) was there many other women in that group or were you the only one there were other women um a lot of them wouldn't like doing the street stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm just super girly and I was young and my accent could fit quite a lot of work I was doing. A lot of them don't like doing the street work, so they don't like to do the heroin or crack stuff because yeah. a lot of, in the real world, a lot of um, sex workers would do their their, their trade. Yeah. And, they, and that's, that's something that happens all the time. Dealers will say, do this to me and I'll give you it for free. And obviously that's not what we're mm-hmm. there for in our capacity. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the girls in the team didn't like that. But there was girls that would do um, like club work. So like cocaine stuff and yeah. pubs or escort stuff like that. Um, but yeah, there wasn't many. And there was I don't think there was hardly any full time. Um, so yeah, it was a... Uh, wow. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I just like I just liked it. The adrenaline of it, it was fun. <laughs> You're a bloody mad junkie. You are. I'm a... yeah. <laughs> I wish you think, like, well, just give it a go. Like, just try. You don't know, do you? Just go. Just see what happens. And you had to. I found as well with with the unit. Um, once you proved yourself, so once you did all the horrible jobs, like the the heroin and crack stuff, it's horrible. Like the people you're associated with, it's so sad because. Mm you know you're seeing the worst sort of things um but you don't get the good jobs like the really good jobs until you've kind of proven yourself so once I'd done that for a while I started getting really good jobs and I was like this is amazing I'm getting paid to be at festivals like driving Winnebago's and being paid to do this (laughs) this is amazing yeah or or like going in like the five-star hotels in London and being an escort like this is amazing this is up my street I like this I like wearing these clothes <laughs> didn't you worry about that being an escort that you know that you were going to have to eventually give the favor yeah <laughs> yeah um but most of the the points of being in that world was to establish who the dealers were so even though you're there when it was crazy actually because when you'd go into these venues I as a as a regular person I would never have noticed anybody there that wasn't um that was there to be a, an escort or a sex worker I'd never even clicked that was a thing mm. and then obviously when I became became one but not really um you'd see it everywhere you'd be like oh yeah oh my god there's loads <laughs> like, wow. and then you'd be like oh, you're working 
but it was to infiltrate the workers and then they would tell you who the dealers are yeah. and then and so that was it so really I never had to um engage with men so to yeah. speak I was actually de- I was actually dealing with other escorts and they were lovely like some of their stories were I could talk to them all day <laughs> like yeah. it's it's a different a whole different world Wow. And it's, it's you know, it's the drug dealers. It's the dealers that are the assholes. You know, they, they just con other people into doing it. I, I, it's fascinating. Now, I, I, one thing you said is, um, one thing you say is that you were living this double life, Do you, you know, and, and, and people, you couldn't tell people what you were doing and you had to make up stuff. Now, you... You got your your dad, who's already a cop, you know, and he understands the whole cop thing. And you go in as a cop, you know, and then suddenly you're, I don't know, something else, and you couldn't tell your mom. And you've got two kids, and you, you know, you had a partner in there at some point. He's come in, do you, like, and you couldn't tell anyone. So, what, like, what what were you telling them you were doing? Like a baker down at the bakery, or something? what were you saying to them? No, they just thought I was a police officer, and overtime. That was it. My dad, my dad knew because you obviously for a safety aspect, if something happened, they'd have to let someone know. But this is so what's so funny is because they told me not to tell anyone, I didn't. I literally just did as I was told. They were like, don't tell anyone. I was like, okay. So I didn't tell anyone when really I think I probably could have told people, not like in depth, but I could have probably said, but I just didn't because I thought I'd get in trouble. So I didn't. Um, but they just thought I was there's a saying in the police in in the Met where they say you're job pissed where you just love your job yeah. and everyone just thought I was job pissed um, and that I would just go to work and work all this overtime and which a lot of it was overtime but um, not in the sense they thought. <laughs> so didn't your dad worry about you didn't he think Danny what are you doing that's why are you doing that? I think he thought I think he quite liked it um, I think he thought it was quite cool. You know, it's it's one of them things that if you don't know it, it's like not meant not even people like like know it exists. This unit exists. Like people just yeah. don't know. But my dad did know because he's worked cases where he's had to use covert officers before. So he yeah. knew that unit existed. Um, but I think he thought it was quite cool. I think he quite liked quite liked it. <laughs> <laughs> What'd your mum say when she found out? <laughs> my parents are so different. Like <laughs> God, like it's really mad. Actually, my dad's um, my dad's obviously was a police officer. He was a, a rank. He he he's done very well for himself. He was privately educated, boarding school, one of those. And then you've got my mum, who's the youngest of a lot of siblings, um, and they have their own rules, so they don't necessarily ring the police when they need to. <laughs> <laughs> they just sort it out themselves. And she's the youngest, so she doesn't live in the real world. She'll kill me for saying that. But she's she's in a bubble. You know, no one, if I if I told my mum something, she'd just go, oh, okay. And that would be it. Uh, but so when she found out, it was actually, she read it in a newspaper. Um, and I was out of the police by then. So she read it in a paper and was just like, hang on a minute. She, she's really, she's really, really like hilarious. Um, what's this about you? And she still calls me Danielle. Why are you saying all this, Danielle? And I said, oh, mum, yeah. So when I was at work all the time, well, I'm glad I didn't know. She just, yeah, she was not happy. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't know. Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself in that position? Let someone else do it. She's very much one of them. Don't you do it. Let someone else do it. And I'm like, well, that's not how it works, (laughs) mum. But yeah, she's 
if you ask an Ash, oh, I'm so proud. But at the time when she found out, she wasn't happy. Oh, I yeah. love it. Did you have kids then at that point? Or yeah, yeah, I had children. Um, and it's re- when I think about that, like I went back to work really quickly. I went back after twelve weeks because yeah. I, I had a baby and I was young, and none of my friends had babies then. Um, and I didn't really know what to do. <laughs> it was just like I've got a baby. But I knew what to do at work. So I was like, is this bit, a bit weird if I go back to work now? No, it's fine. The baby's three months. She'll love nursery. But it's funny because I put her in nursery at a young age and I didn't put my son in. And they are so different. Like my daughter's super confident. She can chuck her in anywhere and she'll be able to talk to anybody. Whereas my son's really shy. He's reserved. Like he's stuck to my side. and my entire, He has to be touching at all times. It's like <laughs> another, another person. Um so they're so different. So actually it did it did her good. And it did probably did me good going back mentally because I don't know what I only ever knew work. That was yeah. literally work. So I don't So know. you just you just said you're a cop, you're working overtime and that was it. But yeah. in the background, you could have been killed at any point. I guess, but I just think <laughs> I guess, like, you could anyone. Like, I could walk out up this afternoon, cross the road and get run over. I, I just think, well, I do think about things more now, but then I just didn't. I didn't think I was um, superior or, you know, unbreakable, but mm. I didn't have the fear factor like I have now. No way. Like, no, I just thought, I thought it was normal. <laughs> it was normal to me. <laughs> and you were pissed on your job, so it really didn't matter. No, I, yeah. I love I loved work. Literally, I loved it. They And I never said no to any job. They'd be like, Dan, can you go too? And I'd go, yeah, sure. And that would be me gone. Um, I just, wow. yeah, I wanted to be a part of that club because it, it was so respected. Mm-hmm. I, and I had so much admiration for my colleagues. Like some of the stuff they used to tell me, I'd be like, that's, that's, that's like, that is like born. Like, <laughs> that's really cool. I want to do that. <laughs> and it's funny in our house because uh, my partner's Ben and he's on um, Hunted and his background's really cool. Um, I always say he's more James Bond and I'm born. And he's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we have that in our house. We have a bit like that. We say the kids are spy kids because <laughs> the stuff they overhear us talking about, it's like, but they don't know any different either. They think it's normal. You reminds me of that show, um, and I can't think of what it was. Jamie Lee Curtis was in it, you know, and she, and she got caught up in some um, undercover thing. Do you remember that old movie? Was that, and it was a fantastic. She was just like a an office worker, and she was really bored. And then she met someone who said he was a spy or, or something like that. And then she suddenly got dragged into this, you know, big spying. And she was, uh, if I remember it right, I'm gonna have, don't worry about it because I don't know if I'm oh, saying it right. But it's kind of that, you know. I'd forget about it. Don't worry. And why did you quit? <laughs> like you did this for 10 years. So what, what was it that when, okay, because you said you were drunk on it. I love this yeah. stuff, love it. But suddenly you went, I'm not going to do it anymore. What what happened? Why? I think, well, I had I was pregnant with my son and I had a really horrible pregnancy, um, loads of complications. It was all awful. Um, and... Obviously, then I started thinking more. I, I like to think of it, I just grew up. Yeah. It sounds silly, but I, I wasn't institutionalised, but I was a little bit. So my whole life revolved. I thought I was a lifer. I thought I was always going to be in the police for the whole my whole service. And I would never leave. And I was excited to get my pension. 
but then I fell pregnant and I could see the job was changing and it was changing. Um, I didn't, I'd been for a horrible divorce. Um, and I just, I don't know. I think I started to think a bit more. Um, and then I went back to work after my son was born. Um, and my, one of my last jobs, my last covert jobs wasn't the best. Um, I was attacked by this guy and, at the time, I was happy that we'd got him. Like, I was really happy. I was elated. And then I went home and thought about it and thought, well, I've got two kids now. Like, and I am a single parent <laughs> with two children. And they do have different dads. I would never want my children to be split. Yeah. If something happens to me then, mm. it happens to them. And my daughter was getting to the stage where, she, you know, she was older. She's not a baby anymore where she doesn't know that I'm not there. You know, some days I would be literally putting her to bed my mum would be over. My mum would think I'm just going to go to work and work a night shift. And I would rush, be rushing back to get back in the morning so I could take Amelia to school, sleep for a few hours, pick her up, and it would just become that cycle. And then I became pregnant with Albert. Um, and I didn't really want to do that again. Mm. So I think I just, I took a career break. I didn't just leave and chuck the towel in. I, I did take a five-year career break. Um, and it was during the career break I moved overseas and decided this just isn't for me anymore. Mm. I've got I've seen another world. I don't. I don't think I'd seen. I all I knew was police. And my friends that weren't police did a nine to five in the city, um, and I just saw a different world. And thought, actually, some of that. <laughs> I'd quite like to do that stuff. Um, and I liked being a mum. I liked being the one that done the school runs, or yeah. could go and watch plays, or do the sports days and things like that. I just and I'd never done any of that before. I missed everything. Mm. So I kind of liked being mum. Um, wow. And so, so you moved to Spain? To well, we moved to France first. I moved to yeah. France for a couple of years, um, which was really cool. It was really fun. I love I love the French accent. Um, they don't like my accent, but I yeah. love their accent. Um, and my daughter went to French school, so she we just threw her in at the deep end. And she, she was the only English kid in a French school. No one spoke English. It was brilliant. Um, so she speaks complete, reads, writes, speaks fluent French, which wow. is pretty remarkable for someone like me <laughs> from my area, you know, where I grew up. That's not, people don't speak anything apart from English. Um, so that was really cool. And then we moved to Spain just before Brexit. <laughs> wow. And so and, and so now you're in Spain with Ben, who you talked about before. And I want to talk about Ben in a minute because he's doing a show over here and that's why you're in Australia and all that. And you started up a cyber security company. So what? So it's kind of like you can't get enough. Do you, you know, you just <laughs> you just want to keep. Well, I'm out of that now. What else can I do? That's digging digging oh, into the criminals. And, and honestly, if I told you some of the stuff, like you just would be like, "How does this happen to her?" <laughs> like I am a shit magnet. If anything's going to happen, it just comes my way. Like it's just. That we again, I fell into that. <laughs> so um, I fell. So I, I filmed a TV show in the UK that was ridiculous because I fell into it. You know, I'd spent my whole life under the radar. Um, and a good friend of mine who was also a covert officer, she didn't. She was a really successful detective sergeant, so she had a unit to run. So she wasn't deployed as much as I was. But we always stayed in touch. We we became really good friends. And today, she's still one of my really good friends. Um, she rung me and said she left the police. I'd left the police. She rang and said, Dan, I've got a job for you. Um, what do you think? And she started explaining a little bit. Um, and I said, well, what's the day rate? And she told me, I said, yeah, it's all right. That's not bad. 
She's great. And um, here's the address. Can you go on Tuesday or whatever day it was at this time? So I turned up and I didn't realise it was an audition for a show. <laughs> and she kind of she kind of worded it because she knew I wouldn't go if I if she'd said it's for TV, I wouldn't have gone. And TV people are very persuasive and very nice and complimentary. And <laughs> the, the producer was like, oh, if we if you just do a quick tape, you know, just a quick piece to camera. Oh, and she was all very nice. And no one had ever been that nice to me before. So I felt obliged. <laughs> so I was like, oh. I was like, I'll do it, but I'm really not going to be on TV. Like, this, I can't do that. And she was like, but why not? I was like, I just can't. Um, like, I can't do that. That's really big betrayal. I can't do that. Anyway, I did the piece, the camera, got a phone call saying, we would love to have you on the show. And I was like, oh, God, I can't believe this is happening. And it was Hunted UK. So it's the first ever Hunted. I know they do it here in Australia now, but it was the first ever one um, years ago. I think we've done like, I want to say maybe eight, seven or eight years of it now. Um, so we did it. It was a hit. They loved it. Then they used myself and Nick, my friend from the police. They used us, me and her were partners on the show at the time. And they used me and her as promo for the show. And they used Ben, who's my now partner, and a good ex-police, covert police officer called Blex, Peter Blexley. It was us four that did all the promo stuff. So us four become like a little friendship group and we went drinks together. And um, so that's how me and Ben ended up together. I was <laughs> going to ask you, but now you've answered yeah. that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's business and pleasure, but it just worked. <laughs> um, and so I ended up on that TV show, and it just went from strength to strength. And then, obviously, my net—I never, I never had a network. I only had my police friends, really, and my some of my old school friends. But then I started to see this bigger network, and somebody on the show owned a um, online intelligence company, which just blew my mind. Like yeah. they basically did what I did in person, but online. So it was like all online investigation. And I was like, oh, tell me everything. Like, <laughs> how do I do this? And so he he lives in Canada and he told me absolutely everything he did. And I was like, I want to do that. I, I can do that. Like, that's my job. But online, that's even better. <laughs> I love this. So that's how I ended up in cyber, the world of cyber. Um, and there's a little bit more to it, of course. I, we're, we're not technical. We don't, you know, we, we have people that can do pen testing like blue team and red team and that sort of thing but anything online so we look after quite a lot of um ceos like c-suites of companies yeah, we yeah. Will, threats are out there on them um which always they always say i don't have an online presence and i'm like you're a ceo of a company you definitely do have a presence <laughs> you really do um so that athletes we get a lot of athletes um who ask us to either check how they are online if they're secure or can we clean things up for them? Because I don't want that on there anymore. <laughs> or they're scared that, you know, it gets taken wrong. They're private lives. Athletes' private lives or people in the public eye, not just them, you know, actors. Their private lives are, I feel sorry for them because, like, it's not private. And it's just people, people can be quite mean. Yeah. Um, and they will sell things. And so we do all of that sort of stuff. We actually teach online investigations. Funnily enough, to the Metropolitan Police, they're one of our clients. <laughs> <laughs> which is quite funny um the royal air force we teach the royal air the uk royal air force we've got um quite a lot of insurance companies we teach online investigation and it's just it's basically just a massive jigsaw puzzle and we show you how to put all the pieces together using different methods online and it's still completely legal um 
and it's it's fun it's like being like the nosy neighbor but online it's it's brilliant <laughs> so what a lot of people say oh no there's no cyber threat and I say if you've got, if you've got an iPhone you're under cyber threat yeah, honestly, <laughs> you know? yeah we always say this like we love it when they when a, a person says, I don't have an online platform and I say are you married they say yeah or no or they've got a partner or do you have ch- children and the moment they say they've got teenage children I'm like that's amazing because <laughs> now I've got everything I need yeah. and some of the stuff we get on them they're like how do you know that I'm like, because your child left a, we call it a digital breadcrumb and we just followed the breadcrumb back and then we've got and they're like that's mental wow wow I love it I like I love it (laughs) and I still get to be (laughs) mum wow and the kids don't know do that the teenagers are so bloody naive on on TikTok and on Snapchat and all that kind of stuff they've got no they've got these um you know Snapchat's got these maps where you can tag each other you know where everybody is at the and I'm like I say to I said to my daughter don't you don't you bloody use that why not and I said because Anyone can hunt you down. And it's not just your friends. Like you are just exposing yourself to everybody. No, I'm not. You don't even know. You don't even use Snapchat. And I said, yeah. well, I'm, not, I'm not a fucking idiot, though. Like, no. <laughs> like get out of work. No, it's so funny because we have quite a good um, relationship with a lot of the platforms like Instagram and stuff like that. They're, they're, very, they're very good. You know, if there's something that needs to be removed, yeah, they're pretty good. I mean, there's arguments at the moment. I see every day is how can they censor some stuff and not censor other stuff and that's a whole different argument but when we go when we approach them with something direct they're pretty good and they will get it either removed or they'll they'll sort it out but one that never sort of helps much is actually snapchat yeah like we'll be like can you and they'll be like no and i've got friends who are still in the police and they're like we've had we've asked them on criminal cases like no wow just help come on we're trying to do a good thing we're the good guys here like we we do and that's something we do do we do when we approach our work we think like the bad guys but in a good way so we yeah. think what would the bad guys want how would they use that and then we'll relay that information but maybe maybe I can come and work for you because I think like the bad guys I my, my partner just me why do you even think that how did you even get that in your head and I'm like you got to think like the bad guys why why do you have to think like the bad guys and I said because then you can always be a step ahead you know yeah. you can be a step ahead imagine what they could do or would do or might do or something and then you can prevent half and she's like god you waste a lot of time in that head <laughs> this sounds like a conversation in our house <laughs> Ben says that to me all the time. He's like, how, how has that even entered your brain? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I was thinking about this and this and this. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because I'm <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, shit, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. there's something wrong with you and I'm like I know <laughs> I know we're the same here it's how did you even get to that well I started thinking about the dogs you start thinking the dogs and now you suddenly you're wondering about the the pirates in the bloody Caribbean how did you get how'd you get from one to the other it's like oh, I was only three steps it's fantastic <laughs> I know it's so it's but I do think that and, and because of the the media as well like tv people report on these things more now so yeah. We talk about it more, whereas before we never used to talk about it, but now we do. So yeah, actually, wow. we start being paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben, Ben, your partner, who you met when you started filming Hunter. Now, just just to recap, because I had I had Jordan Wiley on on a few episodes ago. Jordan's a great friend of yours. Jordan was doing the Hunted show with you in uh, in the UK. 
and and so hunted is well no you explain it because I'm going to explain it terribly so you you go because you you actually did it not me yeah <laughs> uh, well it was it was supposed to be a one-off show about surveillance state to show how many you know how our lives are captured by the state yeah and it became a bit more exciting and they said actually this could be a real life game of cat and mouse and it's basically um members of the public trying to evade capture i think we did it for 21 days from experts so the experts <laughs> are me uh so my background obviously policing there's other police officers military personnel british intelligence um, and we all come together and we're supposed to be the UK's elite. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure about that, but we're supposed to be the UK elite. Um, and we just try and capture the members of the public who are trying to stay away from us and live. A lot of them try and live off grid and they will like, you know, ditch any um, technology and stuff like that. But um, we did have, um, you know, I'm not uh, being boastful, but my team did always have the most captures. <laughs> Because I'm so competitive. And I think it was like if they if they got away from you, like if they, they outdid you, they'd win $100,000 or something like that. Is that, is that, did, did yeah. anyone win? <laughs> we did have people win. Um, yeah, that didn't go down well when they won. We were not happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nor were the payers. <laughs> no, well, yeah, quite. Um, but that, but we do a celebrity one as well in the UK, and it's all for charity, and that's much fun, more fun. You know, it's light-hearted. Like we don't, you don't mind them winning because it's for charity. Yeah, you kind yeah. of, and to be honest, because it's celebrities, we get a little bit starstruck, uh, <laughs> and it get, you get a bit giddy because you're like, like so and so, like, can I have a picture? Like it's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of have to do it. Me and Jordan were the worst because we were crewed together, and we would be like. Oh, that's like them off the come on, let's go and ask them. And it, like, it was so ridiculous. I'd go to Jordan, you do it, you do it. And he'd be like, no, you do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, and then Ben actually was invited to the USA. He filmed, they did it in the US a couple of years ago, which was incredible. We went, I obviously went with him. Um, because why not? No, he doesn't want to go to Los Angeles yeah. for free. Um <laughs> So we went over to Los Angeles and he filmed it there and it was incredible. Like the, the, the budget they had was a different level of filming yeah. to what we have in the UK. Um, but they didn't they didn't recommission it. And it was like we were gutted. Um, and then we were, when we lived in, we were in Spain, Ben and I were in Spain, and somebody just messaged us and said, have you seen that Australia are going to be doing Hunted? So I'm very much of like I now get networks I totally understand networks are everything Um, and if you don't ask you don't get but there's no shame in being told no so um, we emailed the exec um, in Australia and said oh we hear you're doing Australia hunted we'd love we'd love to chat (laughs) we do the UK one Um, and obviously Ben is he's like the golden boy of hunted we'll we call him golden balls um <laughs> hunted uk and he's got a very nice english accent he looks great on camera he's very good at his job um so they literally bit his arm off i they said no we don't need you to me but um you can come <laughs> over if you want <laughs> and i was like of course I, wherever ben goes i go and wherever i go ben goes so it's great um so he filmed last year hunted australia and then they invited us back again this year 
Um, and he's just left about 10 minutes ago because they're doing, I'm not supposed to say any of this, by the way, because um, they're not supposed to be telling anyone they're filming yet, but they are. Um, <laughs> and they're doing a night shoot tonight. So he's he's gone off uh, late. He only leaves earlier than this, but he's gone later today because they're doing a night shoot. Um, and from what I know, this year's is even more insane than last year's. It's it's They've got all out. It's really cool. I'm really excited to watch it. Wow. Um, and this is it. Yeah. This is in Melbourne. Yeah, so they film, um, I think it's near Maidstone. I don't really know this area very well because every time we've been, we're kind of in the business district because yeah. um, it makes sense for us to be here. Yeah. <laughs> it's really nice and it's busy and it's lively. Um, but, yeah, he goes off every day and does that. And um, the kids, well, my, only my son's come this time. My daughter's in England. She's studying. So yeah. we go down to the skate park every day because he's a skateboarder fanatic. He loves Melbourne. So we have to go there every single day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There's a skate park in Melbourne. It's along the river just by the rowing clubs. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really cool skate park. They, we went yesterday. Ben yeah. had the day. And we went down. There was a big competition down there. So we had to take Albert down there. <laughs> Well, see, you know Melbourne better than me. I didn't even know that was there. Wow. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really great. Like, we don't really get stuff like that in Spain. So, yeah. And I love, like, where we live as well, it's not busy. And this gives me my city fix because I'm, yeah. I like concrete. <laughs> so <laughs> this wow. is great. Oh, no, I don't. I'd rather the bush. I like the bush. I, I live out way out on acreage. I love it, but that's good. So when – so – Use uh, because I Jordan introduced me to you. So, hey, Dave, friends of mine, Danny and Ben are in, you know, in Australia. You should catch up and that sort of stuff. I think you said you're going back soon in a couple of weeks. So, uh, so have you finished? Is he will he have finished filming or are you just going back? Or, yes, I'm just curious. I'm a, I'm a busybody. <laughs> so, Ben finishes filming um next week. Yeah, yeah. And then we're here for two days after. And then we're actually, we're not flying back to Spain. We're going into London um, because I've got a book launch. So my book's being launched. Um, yeah. And my publisher is in London and they're having a big thing. And I said, I'm a bit nervous. What if no one turns up? <laughs> <That'd be bad. laughs> I said, what if no one comes? That will be really embarrassing, but <laughs> that will be really bad. But it won't happen. But, be- you know, I'll get over it. <laughs> No, people will turn up. So you will. That's a lovely segue into your book. So it's it's um it's called what is it? The girl for the job. So this is your yeah. The yeah, and it's yeah. all about you being undercover and all that sort of stuff. Is it that what it's about? Tell us what we're going to expect when we read it because I want to read it. By God, I want to read it. <laughs> um. So I don't even. This is so mental. Like, you know, I said I don't know how I get myself in these situations. <laughs> I still sit there sometimes and go. Well, like the other day we were sat here in, in Australia and I said to Ben, what are we doing here? Like we, we're from council estates in London. What are we doing here? Like this is nuts. And he, we, we're really grateful. Like, and I know people do say this all the time, but like we really are. And the fact that I've got a book coming out, like my English teacher would never in a million years. <laughs> she will, I'm going to send her a copy because I know she'll be like, you <laughs> How did happen? Um, so I was approached I, I, years and years ago. Jordan actually kept saying, "You need to write a book," and I'd say, "It's but it's not that easy to write a book." And he'd go, "Just do it, just do it." And then I was filming another 
show another it's a true crime thing and the guy there said I'm gonna introduce you to my friend like you need to write a book um and he introduced me to someone and he said oh I'll introduce you to someone I said okay so it gone like down this chain again networks um and then this very nice very well-spoken man called me and I thought oh no I don't know what to say to you I was very intimidated because <laughs> he spoke like the king um and <laughs> he said I want I want your book and I said oh okay uh what do I need to do and he said do you want to write it I said no <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing so he introduced me to a ghostwriter um and she's incredible like this it wouldn't exist without her I would never be able to write how she's written it so uh, we would do like zooms like this she'd ask me questions and then she's written this book <laughs> about my life and it's weird and I keep saying to her her name's Katie Katie what if no one buys it She's like, of course someone will buy it. I'm like, oh, what if no one buys it? Like, I've wasted all your time. She's like, did we get paid? I was like, well, yes, we did get paid. <laughs> it, while we was in Australia last year, there was a, I, this is a bit nuts too, but there was um, several publishers bidding against the book who got the rights for the book. And wow. I was like, what? That's the very posh man, his name's Andrew. And I said to him, what does this mean? Because I don't know publishing. And he's like, they're all fighting. They want the book under their banner. Wow. Um, and Pan Macmillan won the bid. I said, so Andrew, wh- when do we stop it? And he said, I'll oh, just let it keep rolling. While they're still arguing, let them keep going. He said, every time <laughs> argue, he said, every time they argue, they put more money on it. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then I didn't realize when you write a book or so I have a ghostwriter, they're supposed to be paid up front. And Katie wasn't. She said, no, I think this, I'm, I'm invested in this. I don't want a fee. So she took a massive risk. Wow. Um, um, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and obviously wow. she risk, she's beat obviously paid now, but um, mm. the publishers have been great. Um, they're really nice. Everyone's just nice in that world. Like, they're not what I'm used to at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the book. And I, I still find it mental, but really it was Jordan that kept pushing me to say, like to do it. Cause every day, you know, we were sat in a car together for six weeks and he'd say anyone the book I'd say, I'm not writing a book I'm not doing a book Jordan <laughs> wow. I'm not doing it when does yeah. it come out second of March wow yeah. and that's going to be online everywhere you know on sick yeah it's I, I, it's on pre-order at the moment like people can pre-order it and yeah. I keep getting sent statistics and they're like it's number such and such in the such and such chart and I'm like but it's not out yet and they're like doesn't work like that and I still haven't got my head around it I'm just I just do as I'm told they're like just turn up at this event I'm like okay okay if there if there are if your publisher is organizing an event there will be people there and they will be they will be like um I can't think of the word I'm looking for but they will be people that you will want there and want to meet and put into your network they will yeah. be people that are going to benefit you like hugely over the years hugely nuts I just find it weird like some of the honestly some of the things and the situations we find ourselves in I'm like I don't even know how this has how this has happened I genuinely don't (laughs) know but I am a huge believer in the whole network thing now I I totally get that's how life works um but like like Ben and I I got a phone call last week about a keynote and I can't say where it is but I was like you want me to do that and the guy was like yeah and I was like are you sure 
And he was like, yes. I was like, I'd love to. Like, that's amazing. And then I, and then I said to him, um, can I take Ben? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, really? So me and Ben are off to do this. We're doing it together, actually. And it's a Mr. and Mrs. Smith type thing. Yeah. Um, but I like just kind of invited him. Um, and we're like, the, com- the company that have taken it. I'm like, I don't know why you would want to hear that. Like, I don't get it. But because it's exotic, you know, because because you've lived this life and still are to some degree in some of the stuff you're doing, that that people only imagine it's movie like, you know, it's kind of like I, I can only ever imagine that being in a fantasy world on TV, and I would never go there. My God, I'd be too scared. So when when you get the opportunity to read. Because we've got Hollywood that makes shit up, you know, and often it's based on stuff. But when you actually read a real life or or, or watch a real life thing like this, really freaking happened, your mind goes, "How? How the hell? You know, like wow!" And so that's why people are going to read it. That's why people want to hear what you're saying. You know, it's it's, it's such a wow factor. It's fantastic. It blows my mind, like honestly, something like. It really does. And I, we, when we were, um, after we filmed Hunted last year, we went to Thailand on holiday and we'd never been to Thailand and we were sat on the beach and I said to Ben, this is a pinch me moment. Like, this is really cool. And he was like, yeah, this is really, really cool. And like our kids don't really, like they don't get it. Like when we were kids, we went on holiday to a caravan if we were really lucky. Some years we didn't go at all. And I'm like, the kids travel the world. That's all I want for them is to travel because yeah. I think, I love that they've been tra- they're so they're so well traveled, but I never did that. So they for them it's normal and they don't they don't quite get it. Sometimes I do have to like, especially my oldest one, I have to say to her, you do know this is like not normal. And yeah. Like, it is. And I'm like, Amelia, it's not normal. This is not this isn't how life is. Like, yes, we've we have fallen into it, but we have worked quite hard. Like we've taken huge risks in our lives both Ben and I have taken massive risks and they haven't always worked out but we've learned a lot from them um but it's just yeah some of the stuff that uh, we've just finished something I, I'm not allowed to talk about it and I can't wait till I can talk about it <laughs> I, like it's the it's it's pretty bloody cool actually and when it when it comes out I'll, and I'm allowed to talk about it I'll message you and say it's the thing I couldn't talk about. Here's the links. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> That's a whole different ball game. But we've been told we're not allowed to talk about that yet. But it's gonna, yeah, it's really cool. I'm, re- I was, I loved it. <laughs> it's gonna be really wow. Something. Oh yeah, I can't wait. Well, we might have to do a second podcast. We might have to do another one just to <laughs> catch yeah, up on it. It's um, it's really cool, and it was a real family affair as well. Like me and Ben, obviously, were. Um, it wasn't a TV show or anything like it's a real life thing. Um, ben and I both worked it and we needed a translator. So we got our daughter to be our translator for it. And it's wow. just immense. She still doesn't get it. She just doesn't get it. I'm like, that's so cool. You've translated on something so exciting. But she, she's like, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Does she just speak French or has she got like, does she speak Spanish as well? And Yeah, she's wow. completely fluent in French, English and Spanish. Wow. Yeah, reads, writes. And she says she's going to try another language. She wants to pick up. She's, so when she, she's doing her A-levels now and she likes her A-levels that she's doing, English, French and Spanish, um, which we're hopeful she gets good grades. I hope so. Um, and that's what she wants to do at university. But 
she's saying that she wants to do um defense law so wow that would be cool that's what I thought I wanted to do um (laughs) so what are you gonna do when she says mum um I'm gonna go covert you know what are you gonna say no you're bloody not (laughs) she's not no and it's sad because the police has changed so much as well like obviously you've probably seen the press at the moment it's 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 pretty bad it's and the commissioner the new commissioner's got a pretty big job on his hands um and there's a lot of blame like you know no one hates a bad cop more than a good cop like I can't tell you like when I see this stuff I'm like that's really bad like how how did he how did that happen Mm. how how was that guy nine nine counts nine complaints nobody Mm. and it does go back to I've got a massive opinion on it um but it's it goes back to recruitment Mm. it's all down to the recruitment of people that they're bringing in to the police force just aren't aren't suited for that role or that job and the the members you know they've got senior members of staff that have never worked at the bottom as a pc they're going in at inspectors but they might be good at passing exams and doing degrees but that doesn't make you a good police officer yeah yeah Um, so that's an issue but apparently they've scrapped it now They've, they've scrapped that or it's going to be scrapped um, I think so I think that sort of stuff's going on everywhere. You know, where people are just there's such a shortage of jobs or such a shortage of people to do the jobs that people are just accepting anybody anywhere. Do you, you know, and just trying to fill plug holes, and it's really causing a it's causing chaos. This this bad policing thing is a real issue because you know we need good cops. We need the police force. We need cops everywhere, but we need it to be fair. And then a couple of baddies. You know, like, well, just listening to the um, reading about those five that beat up that guy in America, you know, the black guy in America, yeah. and, and they're all being charged with murder. And then I'm like, good, you buddy bastards, you so you should be. And then I think, but then h- how many others are out there doing it, you know, getting away with it? And then, then everyone starts hating all the cops just because there's a handful of bad cops, you know. And it, it and then there's you're starting to get anarchy, and it's it's a really it's a really bloody fragile system at the moment you know the humanity is actually really fragile at the moment it's so and it really frustrates me because there's so many good cops like Mm. it's a hard job it's a really hard job and there's no such thing as just a police officer yeah you know every cop I know like I don't know any well I say I don't know any bad cops I knew a cop when I was in uniform and I've just re- been found out recently that he's now in prison. And I would never have known in a million, I genuinely would never have known in a million years he was yeah. capable of what he's in prison for. And it, it really threw me. I was like, wow, when I knew him, I wouldn't have known that was, he was capable of that. But like, it's the same thing, like you said about how everyone hates all police. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's in the UK, there's been a few different um, football clubs that have had players um, arrested um and under investigation for crimes and I always said but if you if you support that particular football club and that player plays for that club you don't hate the whole club you don't stop supporting that club you just think that's really out of order I hope they get rid of him so what's the difference here like I get the police are meant to be trustworthy they're in a a position of power that's there's like 36,000 police officers in the UK (laughs) like it's like, of course, you're going to get horrible bad ones and it's outrageous what they've done and they should absolutely be punished. But don't tarnish all the cops with the same brush because it's not fair. No. It's, it's not fair. Like, yeah, it's 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 really upsetting sometimes because you think, 
I know so many cops that put their job before their families, yeah. their their own their own self, and then they're being told and called all sorts. Yeah. And I think I think the respect for the police in the UK is gone. Oh, and here, and here as well. You know, I hear that I hear so many. Oh, yeah, buddy, pigs. But I'll, I won't say all the names I hear because they're you know a bit probably a bit harsh for the podcast but but then I think to myself geez you're an asshole because you'd be the first one to call a cop if something was if someone was breaking into your house or or if one of your kids was being bloody you know something happened to them you'd be the first to bloody ring the cops and say well why aren't the cops here but in the meantime you're calling the biggest pigs in the you know under the sun and uh, we can't we can't change humanity. What um I'm interested in your better wrap up in a minute. Your your um because otherwise we'll talk for three days. <laughs> I, I know that your view on drugs has changed because when you first started, you know, you're like busting people and busting all the dealers and everything else and thinking, if I get these, well, I'm not, I'm a, I'm making this up because I don't know you're thinking this, but I'm making it up. If I get these guys off the street, there's going to be no more drugs and we'll wipe it clean. And I imagine a, a young gung-ho undercover cop was thinking that. So, yeah. I know your views changed a little bit now. And what, what's the difference between then and now in your thinking about drugs? I think um, back then, and it is, I know I say this a lot, but I, I just was, dumped, you know, do that job and I'd go, okay, and I'd go and do it, which sounds ridiculous. I didn't think really for myself. <laughs> um, and I didn't really understand that if I go and buy drugs from some young lad in a street, in a you know, off the street or in a stairwell, he's arrested someone else will be back in his spot within that afternoon the same afternoon because it's not him so we're now arresting him convicting him putting him into the system that's not going to rehabilitate him in any way at all yeah but the people at the top that's responsible for all of this the actual d the real drug dealers they're not being touched they're like they're untouchable we're not we're buying the street the street dealer don't even know who the top dog is um so we're just causing more problem and it was actually when I left, I went and listened to, because I am a bit sad, um, I went and listened to um, Professor Nutt, David Nutt. He is so cool. Um, and he explained, he, anyway, he's explaining, you know, how his view on drugs. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then there was another guy who spoke after him called Neil Woods, who is also an ex-covert police officer. And he he said the same thing, that he thought he was going in arresting people because it was the right thing to do it was illegal so if it's illegal and you get caught that's what happens Um, so he thought he was doing the right thing but he wasn't he was just adding more and more pressure onto the prison systems these kids were being convicted of something that they didn't really know that they were doing any wrong because nine times out of ten there will be minors they'll be young kids Mm, Um, and I just I just had a moment and I just sat there and thought they're right like they're actually right this doesn't make any sense. Like there's, n- I wasn't doing a, a, I was doing my job, but I wasn't, was I really getting any satisfaction for that job? Was I making a difference? I don't think so. I think I was probably making things harder that we were getting more drug dealers because we were arresting one and then someone else was being put in that place and then they'd get arrested and then someone else. So I just thought that's actually not, that's not going to work. Um, and it was only because I'd listened to them speak and I'd left that job um and I thought about it and I thought yeah actually that's never gonna that's just not gonna work and since then I've like look, really looked into like drug reform and stuff like that and it makes complete sense like it really does 
Um, but the way that the world is, they're not going to get rid of drugs. <laughs> We're not going to get rid of it. So let's come up with a good solution to like make it better. Um, but I don't think the UK are quite ready for it. I just can't see that the UK will follow the steps that like Canada have now introduced a new law. I think it's only a, a trial, like a pilot, just to see how how it works. But I know in Norway, they they do it. They allow you to have a certain amount on your person. It can only be obviously for personal use. Mm. But already things in Norway are better. If you look yeah. at like crime statistics and things, it's better. Um, so, Wow. I think we're allowed to have cannabis here oh, for your person. I, I don't know. I don't take drugs. I don't want to know. But, you know, like I just yeah. keep right out of it because it disgusts me. But so sorry if you're listening and you're a druggie. I'm sorry. I, I can't stand it. I can't stand And I can't stand it because of the, the dealers, particular, you know, like the – I can't stand that they just keep hooking innocent people, you know, into into addiction. You know that that's the bit I can't stand. It's not it's not that I can't stand the people who fall into that. I can't stand these bastards who are. And they don't care. They don't, they don't, it's it's all about money. They don't care for people's lives. I just hate the drug system. But these um, these people at the top like. Is there? Is there, are we ever going to get? Are we ever going to manage it? Or, or how do you stop them? Because as far as I'm concerned, and I may be wrong, and you may go a different way with being, you know, coming from the police force. I just reckon the whole bloody thing's corrupt. I reckon that the people at the top in, um, in 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 institutions that we trust, I reckon there's corrupt bastards right up the top that are just feeding this whole bloody thing. That's my thoughts on it. I always think of it like compared to alcohol. I didn't realize the like the stats for alcohol issues. Like that's a big problem. But when you look at the tax uh, off the back of alcohol, it's like that's why it's not illegal. That's the only reason it's not illegal. And I was listening to a podcast actually um, a couple of weeks ago, and it's a guy called Spencer Matthews, and he he was actually on Hunted, so he's a reality star. Yeah, Uh, he was on Hunted, and we we did catch him. Um, me and Jordan got him, which was great. Um, and he um, talks about, he's got a, a company where it's alcohol free, but it's like gin and other alcoholic drinks, but it's all alcohol free. And he was talking about the tax and the and how much it costs at the NHS to deal with people with alcohol issues and stuff like that. And it was actually higher than people with drug issues. And wow. he was saying that um, the government won't stop it because they earn too much money. And yeah. it was like, wow. Same with cigarettes, same with all of the pharmaceutical bullshit. It, it, it is so corrupt. You, I, I always say, people say, oh, you know, in the health industry, I'm not saying bloody health industry, it's a sick industry and they want us to be sick because there's, there's so much money to be made by sick people. And it just is same deal, alcohol, drugs, a whole bloody lot. It's I don't think you can beat that sort of high level corruption, but but it, it's um I think people still have to try because if otherwise we're just going, yeah, you can do whatever you want, you can you can run the world, you know, worries, you can you know take the life out of all the little kids, you go for your life. We can't. I don't think we can sit back and say that sort of stuff. You know, I think we have no. to try to some degree. I think as well after the pandemic and everyone's opinion, I think everyone's like sort of sat back and gone. What what is going on in the world? Like what is happening? Like yeah. this is 
like we were really fortunate over that period we lived in spain and it was summer and we had a swimming pool in the garden like we were very we worked from home so it didn't actually impact us it obviously did impact us because we couldn't leave the house the kids schooling and stuff like that so we were fortunate but then i've got family and friends that live in like in the uk it wasn't summer and they were in a tiny little apartment and they said mentally what it did to them mentally was just something they can't even explain yeah. and I think that's just so sad like yeah. they, and obviously there's loads in the press about it and stuff about what how people coped with that like yeah. and what I said to Ben we never really fully appreciated what it was doing to other people because for us it, life kind of just was a, almost a little bit normal we just didn't go out yeah we went in our garden and we and it was really strict in Spain the lockdown was very strict compared to the UK um we weren't we weren't allowed out. You were like one person was allowed out to go to the shop to get groceries, and the military were at the door of the grocery store yeah. to make sure you had the gloves on and masks and everything else. And they would let like three people in the shop, and then you'd have to queue. And the queues were like crazy, wow. spreading um, COVID in the queues. Yeah, it was, it was so, yeah, it was so like intense. But really, that was that was our hardship of it. And it's yeah. only since like when people are now talking about it that you realize actually that's. We had it really easy in that period compared to a most a majority of other people. It's really, really like food for thought, isn't it? It makes you think. Even my own mum said she found it really hard not being able to like see her family. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was. We had it really. I'd say we had it good here because we're on eleven acres and we can have the whole eleven acres to ourselves. And or, same thing. We just couldn't go out only one could go shopping or something and it was kind of well that's pretty normal for us anyway only one whoever's whoever's out goes and does it you know so it's it didn't really impact us but yeah so the whole world I think the whole world's gone mad like I really think that I'm seeing so much aggression you know so much anger so much I don't know there's just there seems to be people aren't thinking straight anymore and it seems to all have stemmed from COVID you know it's but when we came last year, actually, to Australia, the paperwork we had to do to get yeah. to travel. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we were nerve, we were like scared. And I kept saying to Ben, why are we scared? We travel all the time. What are we scared about? Why are we like, but I'm not going to like, was we were, we, it was, we couldn't get obviously no direct flights, not even just one layover. We had to go from Spain to London. And then we had to have more tests when we got there because the time, diff- it wouldn't have been enough time and it, oh, so we had Spain to London, London to Germany, Germany to Singapore. In Singapore, we were just all put. Everyone who got off the flight that was flying to Australia was put into a separate room. We were given these little like wristbands. Oh my god! We just sat there for four hours, like no drinks, nothing. We just had to sit there oh. in this room. Wow. We didn't have, like okay, we did. We just did as I told. Like we weren't complaining or anything, but. We were like, this is crazy. And then when we landed in Australia, it was like absolutely fine. There were still restrictions though in Melbourne at the time that we still had to scan in and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I kept saying, because I I didn't have like, I was like, what I don't live here. So like what do I have to scan? And they were like, Oh, you can sign. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I'd sign the piece of paper and I'd be like, What happens with that? Yeah. <laughs> what happens with this piece of paper? Will it still be here tomorrow when I come back and sign it again? Like but the, the restrictions here, I found they were still really strict here when we came last year. And in Europe, they wasn't as strict. Yeah. Uh, it was really strict here. But 
I'm glad we don't have to do all that stuff anymore. <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah, me too. I, I had to travel to um, Michigan last year and I was like, oh, oh yes, yes. It's that. It's not a fear, but it's a. It's an anxiety. It's about. Well, what are they doing? Are they still doing that? You know, what if I get stuck there? What if I get COVID there and I've got to be stuck in a hotel for you know for a week or whatever the rules are? And you know, I don't know what the rules are. And you know, what if I can't get home? And then what if? What if? And I think that's the problem. We're just making ourselves mad with what if? What if? What if? What if? What if? <laughs> anyway, last year I filmed a show, a different show um, called. It was. I was like the interrogator on this show. It was brilliant. It was so much fun. Um, <laughs> and they made, I had to quarantine in a hotel on my own for a week. And the, they, the government, so obviously I had to write, fill all my forms in to say where I was going to be. They would ring me at the hotel and say, are you there? <gasps> and I was like, well, I, I am, because I'm too scared to kind of get caught if I left. I'd be too scared. <laughs> but... I could say yes, because you're ringing me. Like, I don't get it. And she was like, yeah, look, are you there, though? I said, well, yeah, I am, but I'm, I'm trying to explain. I don't understand why you are just ringing me, because I could be anywhere and say, yep, yeah, I'm definitely here. Like, this is pointless. This is just point. You calling me is pointless. And then the next day, the hotel rang up into the room and said, uh, Miss Brooke, we've got somebody downstairs from uh, the government. They would like to come and see that you're in your room. So because <laughs> I... The woman, they physically sent the guy and I was, he was like, are you Miss Brooke? I said, I am. And he went, thanks. And he was about to walk off. I said, I could be anyone. Do you want to see my passport? And he was like, oh, yes, please. And I was like, this whole thing <laughs> is just a money-making exercise. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, I could be absolutely anybody. And yes, I am her. Like, he went, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll see your passport. And he looked at you and I'm, thanks. I was like, why? It it's was mad. It's, it's, it is mad, isn't it? <laughs> and on oh. set I remember when we was on set they made us everyone else had to wear a mask but not us and we were like like I get that we we're on camera but what about when we're not on camera should we put one on and they were like no and we had a doctor there who had to come and test our temperature every couple of hours and we had to do these tests and they were like um sent straight away and they were back within an hour every day we were being tested and it was like Wow. Is this normal? I don't know. It's not, obviously, because it's all been scrapped, but it was like, what are we doing? Like whole new world, isn't it? You know, you you <laughs> you, you can never you we would never have predicted that would happen. Do you, you know? Right. I've always said to my partner for years, you know, we could we could get the whole world could get shut down in an instant. She's like, just shut a whole world down. And I said, we could, and she, how? And I said, I don't know how, but oh, easy. The whole world could just be shut down. And then when COVID hit, she's like, I see what you mean about the whole world could be shut down. I said, I said, you don't think like a crook. I think like a crook. <laughs> it is it, when you think back to it. It is like that was a bit crazy. But are we ever going to get to the bottom of it? I don't know. I- uh, yeah, I, I've got my theories, but we'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I've absolutely, I have loved this conversation. You, you just, you, you think it's um, you think you keep asking these questions. How do we get here? How do we get here? Like it's, it's kind of like wow, but at the same time, you're still sort of like yeah, but that's just normal, you know. You, you, you've kind of this. You, you're a very eclectic set. Uh, mix of all these senses you're just you're just wonderful to talk to you know you just you got this energy that is just um I don't know it's so 
you're just such a mix. It's kind of like this sort of childlike energy, but you've just got the, such a um, take care of yourself energy at the same time. You're just, yeah, I think you're bloody wonderful. Just bloody <laughs> wonderful. I really do. That's what my mum says. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was going to be put in the same box as you and now I'm in with your mum. All right, I'm probably more your mum's age, but that's fine. Uh, so where can people follow you? Where can people find you to keep up with what you're doing? We, I have Twitter. I have all these normal platforms. I have Twitter. That's open. Um, I did have a locked Instagram um, and I was advised, look, you've put your whole life in a book. <laughs> like having a private Instagram probably don't worry about it so that's open so Instagram Twitter obviously LinkedIn um I don't use Facebook because yeah it's toxic yep I just haven't got time (laughs) I haven't got time um but it's all the same handle Danny G Brook um um but yeah and I do try to get back to people um I had a really great um keynote the other night with the University of Law which was really great fun and, and the crime lab. Um, and they all started messaging questions after. It's funny because people say, oh, no, I have no questions. And I'm like, I don't mind. You can ask me anything. Like, you are not going to offend me or upset me. No, there's no question off limits. And they always say, no, no. And then after when I say, if you have a question that you didn't want to ask publicly, like feel free to DM me and I will, pro- I will promise like to try and get back to you. And then there was about 20 questions when I went <laughs> on. Twitter. I was like, why did you all just ask that? Like there was nothing like, like <laughs> It was, um, I always try and get back to people if I can. Yeah, I love it. All right, well, I'm going to put all those in the show notes anyway so people can connect with you or people can follow you. And I, I hope people go get your book because I, I'm going to, and now I know I can pre-order it, I'm going to do that because, um, wow, what a, what a story. You know, I just can't. I, because you will have only told the tip of the iceberg here and that book, I'm sure, has got some really juicy stuff in it. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. I still find it just nuts. I don't, oh, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens with it. We'll yeah. See. No, it'll be fantastic. I can't wait. Can't wait. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time. Love everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And if there's anything you need from me, just let me know. <laughs> I will. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Oh, guys, that was fantastic. I'm still a bit blown away. I kind of still imagine, well, I can't imagine, to be honest, um, being undercover in all these, you know, busting drug dealers and God knows what. I, I just think that, you know, Danny's kind of saying, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's not that special or it's not that interesting and people want to talk to me about this and that. And, and she's just not... I don't know. I think she thinks it's a normal life. I don't think it's a normal life at all. I think it's bloody incredible. It's kind of exotic, actually. It's the stuff you see in the movies and you um, don't expect that it's happening in real life, but by geez, it is. So Danny's book is coming out on the 2nd of March and it is called Girl for the Job and it's on pre-order at the minute, so I reckon get it. I'm going to pre-order it. I can't wait to read it. Uh, Also, Hunted, that... um, she's if you're if you're listening to this in England she's on Hunted on C4 Channel 4 and her partner Ben Owen is doing the Australian one over here so I've absolutely loved chatting to Danny I I hope it was exciting for you and it's kind of got me sweating and on the edge of my seat and I have no interest in doing that kind of stuff but uh, she seems to just fall into these roles and does it fantastically so I hope you've enjoyed it Um, I thank you very much for 
joining me again this week and I will see you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com. Tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.